0: started following Christ at the age of 19. And you know, that was a long time ago. That was 38 years ago. You can do the math yourself. I you know, that's that's up to you, but but that 38 years just seems like a flash now when you look back and you know, and at some points we we stop and you kind of look around the world and you go how did we get here? Right? Some of us that are old enough to remember some of those times and things we were talking about, discussing, debating in and out of the church and what out in the world around us. And, but one of the things I love, I love history. And uh, I've been a history buff as long as I can remember. Uh, as I begin to read, I've learned more of history, obviously far beyond my original school years than, than during but I, loved, I learned to love our founding era. But as I began to grow and dig into the Word of God more over the years, uh, I realized that there were some things we were really missing in the context of much of this. And I'm going to just do a couple. This is actually, this, this slide is out of, of one of our uh, educational programs we do as a pastor council. But I just want to just reference a couple of things, and then we'll dive into the message this morning. But let's go to that next slide, um, this is one of the things we're talking about these days. Now you may not have this blessing up here in Granbury yet, but this is happening all over America, all over America. It's a national program. This is—they're bringing drag queens into children's reading hour, into public libraries, from ages two to ten. Now, if you don't know what a drag drag queen is, ask mom or dad, uh, aunt and uncle. Ask pastor; he'll tell you. Hey, we are. At a moment in time where things that were unthinkable a few years ago—I mean, really, truly—were unthinkable, are now not not just promoted, but if you if you speak against those things, you're the enemy. Okay? You're the bad guy. How do we get here? Then let's, let's look at the next one. Well, when you do speak up, this is often what you get. And as Pastor Reference, this was our our campaign website on this proposition in Houston, which is now just a, a slightly smaller condensed version just passed in Carrollton here a few weeks ago. But this is the first major city in America where God allowed us to defeat this, but this was the fundamental issue that played out over a two-year period. And, uh, and I'll touch on that just briefly to fill you in a little key parts of that story. But, uh, but again, how did we get to a point where we're even having to have a public vote on whether to keep biological males out of women's and girls' private facilities. Who would have ever thought? Now let me pause there for a second. How many of you, let me just ask you this, how many times have you said in the last five years who would have ever thought? Right? Fill in the blanks. Right? So how did we get here? And let's go to the next one. This is my own personal subpoena. I tell pastors all over the place now, I'm, my mission now is to help pastors get their own subpoena. <laughs> okay. uh, and it's really interesting, by the way, just a little background story. That, past, that David Welch on that subpoena, they sent my subpoena to the wrong David Welch. Uh, interestingly enough, that's, that's, uh, there's a pastor of David Welch in, in Houston, Bear Creek Community Church, and that poor guy, because he was, had stuck with the same name as me, got my subpoena from the city. I had to call the city and demand they send me my subpoena. And so <laughs> so um, it was an interesting moment. But, but I want you to say that, but down at the bottom here, and you may not be able to read this, but it, in big, bold letters at the top of a subpoena, in case you've never received one of those before, it says, a subpoena serves upon, served upon that person may be deemed a contempt of court from which the subpoena is issued, or a district court in the county in which the subpoena is served and may be punished by fine or in confinement or both if you fail to comply. Now, so what that told us was, and you know, this is what the court's demanding of you. And you either comply or you can be fined. If you don't pay the fine, you can go to jail. That's that's not that complicated to figure out, even for a country boy like me. So, but I will say this, from the that day, they picked on the wrong team. Because the pastors who, who received those, and uh, I'll, I'll just give you a quick background on that because it's just such a powerful part of the story that we don't, we don't tell really on the documentary. Don't get into this. But, uh, but when the, the background, as is, is pastor said, was that we had to sue the city. When we gathered the signatures, turned them in, qualified multiple times over, the city stepped in, the mayor and her, her city attorney, and validated our signatures. Just basically said, go ahead and sue us. So we did. We spent a year in court, two trips to the Texas Supreme Court to achieve the victory of getting it back on the ballot, the right language, and uh, about nearly three quarters of a million dollars in legal fees. It was in the midst of that legal battle that they, they, the attorney, big law firms for the city, reached out and filed these subpoenas. What they had no idea what they were doing was waking up the church. And what the enemy means for evil, God... Uses for good, right? And that's a timeless, eternal truth. And so here again, it blew up so big. And I, I candidly say all the time that I had no idea what God was going to do. I, I, I was so far missed the magnitude of what He planned in this. I, it, for me, it was a nuisance. And I, and I, when we received the subpoenas, I called the Alliance Defending Freedom, and said, "Hey, would you guys come alongside and help us with this?" And they said, sure. You know, Pro Bono Help, a great organization we work with all the time. They filed the motions to quash the subpoenas. They've sent out a national press release. and My t- world turned upside down in about 24 hours. We were getting phone calls from BBC, London, every major news organization in America, and then some all over. We're asking what, what happened, who it is. And they, and they all, of course, all wanted to know who these five were. And by the way, there were seven pastors subpoenaed. There was two of those that were our plaintiffs in this lawsuit. Uh, the F.N. Williams and Max Miller up there on the top there are, are two of our lead African-American pastors of Houston. And so uh, we can go ahead and take that all down. And, uh, and that's our lawsuit against the city of Houston, by the way. But, um, but you can go ahead, go ahead and take those down. Our, uh, so here's where we were. The five were this. Con, Pastor Con Nguyen, the Vietnamese Baptist Church. He was one of the original Vietnamese boat people escaped from communist Vietnam to come to America for freedom. 35 years ago, he's been ministering all over the world in the name of Jesus Christ. Pastor Hernan Castano, his family brought him up from Colombia as a child to escape the communism and the drug wars of Colombia to come to America for freedom. He's been pastoring all over the world internationally now for 35 years. Uh, Dr. Uh, 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 Magda Hermida, I'm sorry, Magda and Jose Hermida escaped Castro's communist Cuba in the 60s to come to America for freedom and have a huge international ministry to Hispanics. Pastor Steve Riggle. And Pastor Steve and Becky Riggle founded Grace Community Church. And it's turned into one of our uh, nation's largest churches, around 15,000, 16,000. As the president of Grace International. But Steve and Becky, as young pastors in their 20s, were caught in the Philippine prison uprising in, in the midst of it and were shot and stabbed multiple times and should be dead. They were, both of them, seriously, severely wounded. Uh, God healed them, raised them up to an international ministry. And Steve is as fearless as they come. And I'm writing these little bios down for the media, and I'm just thinking, they just picked on the Avengers. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what, they have any idea who they just try, tried to intimidate? Go ahead, make my day, right? It was a Clint Eastwood theological moment. <laughs> um, and uh, But truly, and then... And of course, I got to the number five, and it was rather depressing because that was me. And I'm thinking, and and look, I, there's got to be a normal guy in there somewhere, right? Just kind of your average Joe, you know, from the backwoods of America. No great story to tell. Just, you know, stepped up and got in the middle of this. Well, th- and then the one thing I realized that this is what God had done. Though I had just traced my my kind of my genealogy and lineage back. My first direct lineage of welches came over from england in 1689 as part of the quaker church in fact came over with william Penn and george fox uh, settled in pennsylvania in 1689 and had been part of every war and every all the way our history all the way ever since my uh, father served in the korean war my father-in-law was in the in the korean war i have two sons in the marine corps one serves one son served two tours in iraq but i realized my role was well i saw god had just lifted up he lifted up a picture. Guess what? Two blacks, two Hispanics, an Asian, and two Anglo's. And he said, fact, this is not. This is what America looks like, and this is what the church is supposed to look like, and this is who we are. And you don't pick on one, you get them all. And so, I just wanted to kind of lay that groundwork to you because how did we come from? How did we come from restrooms to revolution? I mean, revolution to restrooms. Reverse that. How, how did we start with a, a revolution, a war for independence, birth of nation?" In the name of Christ, you know, the rally cry of the revolution was, no king but King Jesus. How did we get from that point to here, where we are today? And I'm going to touch briefly on that. But um, I'm not going to go through all those slides. We can go ahead and take those down. Um, but we're going to, we're going to reference uh, a couple points in Scripture because there's one key thing I think it's, to me, it's, this is all about. As we call pastors all over America now to just step up and do what we're doing. And I'm so excited and thrilled about and the quality of the Hood County Pastor Team here, the Hood County Pastor Council and Pastor Allen and these guys. Where I, I'm just, you know, sometimes we discount, say, well, I'm not Dallas or I'm not Houston. Uh, I'll tell you right now, the battlefields are in the smaller growing communities around the state of Texas. And I'll talk a lot about that in a minute. But, but let's go to, we're going to start in John 8 31 through 36. And then we're gonna we're gonna hit there and we're gonna jump over to Galatians, just to kind of set the tone for, for a, a simple word, and we all know it. But but sometimes we just discount it. In John chapter eight, thirty-one through thirty-six. It says, and I'm gonna read from the New American Standard Version, it says, So Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed him, If you continue in my word, then you are truly disciples of mine, and you will know the truth, and the truth will make you. Free. They answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never yet been a slave to anyone. How do you say you will become free? Thinking, Well, we haven't been slaves since they left Egypt, right? Jesus answered, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who commits sin is the slave of sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever, the son does remain forever. So if the son makes you free, you will be free indeed. Right? Now, of course, he is framing the context that okay, you are descendants of Abraham, but I'm talking about physical freedom here. I'm talking about, ultimately, you are slaves, as we are all slaves, to sin. And the only thing that sets us free from that slavery is Jesus Christ. And But that freedom, So that's so when we talk a lot about freedom in America, it's now become a, a really loose term. But we're going to start here, and then we're going to jump... Let's go to Galatians 5 as well. Because, of course, and you know, one there's one of the things that, that uh, we're in a, a battle for today, and this kind of points to this whole restroom issue. But Galatians 5, we're going to just read verse 1 and then jump to verses 13 and 14. But going back to that same concept and word, Paul writes, It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, then, and do not... Let yourselves be burdened again with the yoke of slavery. Now, of course, he's writing to those that are being—they're pushing other believers to be, be conformed to the Jewish traditions of circumcision. In other words, in order to be become Christians, and he, there's this whole th- pressure there. But we're going to. So he's he's admonishing, you know, don't don't submit yourself again to the law. The law is not what sets us free. But in verse 13 and 14, it says, You, my brothers, were called to be free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the sinful nature. Rather, serve one another in love. The entire law is summed up in a single command, love your neighbor as yourself. Now, the reason that's so important to us today is because I think we could probably all agree that we have never been as close to losing our freedom by self-destruction, as we are right now today. Okay, we're under our greatest threat is not the Soviet Union. I keep. Let's I just aged myself, didn't I? Okay, it's not Russia, it's not China, it's not North Korea, it's not Iran. The greatest enemy today of this country is we, the people, because our founding fathers understood, and they said repeatedly that our freedom could never would never be lost by by being taken from us by a foreign invader, and enemy, they knew what was here. They knew that the only way we could lose this, and as we approach our two hundred forty third celebration of Independence this next July, two hundred forty fourth if you are a Marine, but I'll, for those of you for the other services, that, that's so I am not worried about that. The Marine Corps was formed in one thousand, seven hundred and seventy five. Just for all of you, this, and uh, I, you know, I have to. A chance to, be, to speak with General Gerald Boykins uh, at a couple, several events, and he's always, of course, as, a, as an Army general, he's always picking on the Marine Corps, so I have to return favor every time I can. Uh, but, but we were were born as a nation upon that Declaration, and you know, the, there's some the argument, and there's even a, a major, well-known pastor and a few others out there down today who argue that America was born illegitimately that the act of, of independence was a, was a rejection of legitimate biblical authority, according to Romans 13. Was well, that true? Um, if it's true, then where, where are we really supposed to be? Um, my response to that is, well, was God asleep in 1775? Was he asleep in 1776? And the answer, of course, is no. And when you really dig into the foundations, going clear back to the very first act in 1607, when the first party landed at Cape Henry, Virginia, right off of the shores of what later became Jamestown, the first act was Reverend Robert Hunt, who was the chaplain of the mission, that planted a cross in the sand as they knelt and dedicated this new land to Jesus Christ. Okay? From that day forward, of course, through the Mayflower, and you read the Mayflower Compact, and I won't won't go on, but there's so much richness in so much of our history that points to, to one specific thing, in that this was founded by those who were Christians and by those who honored Christianity and lived by its precepts and principles, even if they weren't individually. The vast majority of them were. So how did we get that? Uh, from that point, where George Washington and many of our other founding fathers, one of the phrases that you re- hear or you read repeatedly throughout all the writings were these words, "religion and morality," or "morality and religion," as being that George Washington called the twin pillars of our freedom. What do he mean by that? Well, one of the things that uh, John Adams pointed out, one of our founders, and he said, our, we have no government." Armed with power, capable of contending with human passions, unbridled by morality and religion. He said our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people. He said things like greed, avarice, ambition would break the cords of the Constitution, like a whale goes through a net. Get that picture? He said our Constitution was made only for a moral and religious people, and is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. What do you mean? Uh, Speaker of the House in the in the 1830s, Robert Winthrop, stated it this way. He said, we will be governed either by the Bible or by the bayonet. Okay, What was he saying? They're all pointing to one thing. Either you have an internal barometer, either you have an internal check that holds you, restrains you from doing behaviors that cause the government to have to step in, or... You are going, or you have to be reined in by the government. Okay, and so the truth of the matter is, the government that was formed and given us wasn't necessary. But I, I'm going to, you know, touch on a couple things, and I'm going to give you a couple little. I would like to, you know, three scriptures to just kind of. I want you to look into and spend some time. We actually, as part of our institute, one of the first things we start is is there's one fundamental thing about our role as citizens and as as Christians in this country, that is unique to all of history. And that is that the authority, when Jesus is standing before Pilate in John nineteen ten, we all know the story. Jesus has been scourged and whipped, and Pilate brings him back out, and the people are calling for him to be crucified, and he's trying to get Jesus to answer. He says, don't you know that I have the authority to crucify you? And, of course, we know what Jesus' answer was, right? You would have no authority over me except that it been given to you from heaven above. right? In Jesus' final prayer before the garden, John 17, he said, Father, I thank you that you've given me authority over all things. The preamble to the Great Commission, Matthew 28, 18, says, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. So what we clearly see throughout all of Scripture is if we really believe in this God of this Bible, that is sovereign over all creation, that he is the creator, and that he retains that authority, he retains that sovereignty over all creation. He extended that authority to the Son Jesus Christ, and who who now here's the question Is that authority of God in this Bible limited only to those who believe in it? That's a test. So if you say, well, I don't believe that Bible, That's, that thing's a storybook. It's a book of, of old old myths, old wives' tales. So I don't believe that. So just you have your Bible, I'll have, I'll have my philosophy book. Does that make this less true? Well, of course, they would argue that it, that it would. The fact of the matter is, no, of course it doesn't. It's true for all people of all times and all ages. So what does that mean? Well, when they signed the Declaration of Independence, Samuel Adams one of our founding fathers, in the fact, he was known as the father of the American Revolution, said, we have this day restored the sovereign. And from the rising to the setting of the sun, may his kingdom come. And what is he saying? We've had it upside down for centuries. Because from 1 Samuel 8, when the people of Israel said to God, we don't want you to be our king anymore, we want a man to be a king. Right? And you go back and read through that, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, a compelling story. In fact, it was particularly kind of humorous to me about that. There's, sometimes there's, you got to put things in their context. Because God tells Samuel, hey, it's okay. They're not rejecting you. They're rejecting me. But go back and tell them, okay, I'm going to give you what you want. And then give them the list. And the list reads like right out of today's USA Today or CNN headlines about what government looks like. It said the king is going to take your sons and your daughters going to put him in his kitchen. He's going to make him his, uh, run before his chariots. He's going to take your fields, He's take, your, take your goods. He's going to tax, tax you to, to oblivion. I mean, so he tells him in advance, this is what you get when you get the king. But they wanted it anyway. So from that point, essentially until 1215 A.D., when the barons of England called John, King John onto the fields at Runnymede and said, "Sign the document." We call the Magna Carta. That's the first reinstatement pushing back against that first framework of saying, no, king, uh, the king is not the law. The law is the king. As Samuel Rutherford called that, Lex Rex, not Rex Lex. So in the, in the, uh, the Latin. So they were in the first article of the Magna Carta, first article of the Magna Carta was restoring religious freedom to the church. So, when we go back through our history, in the early early pastors, uh, Pastor Moses Mather, who was one of, uh, most of the pastors of that age graduated from Harvard or Yale or Princeton or College of New Jersey, which later became Princeton, which were all seminaries, right? They were all started to train up ministers of the gospel. Boy, how far have they fallen. But he said, when our ancestors left the kingdom of England, they were subjects of that kingdom. Now in America, they were still subjects, or they were not. If the former, then they were entitled to enjoy in America the same or equal privileges by the subjects residing in England. If the latter, then England had no jurisdiction over them, and they were at liberty to erect such a constitution of civil government as they should choose. In other words, if we came over from England, we are subjects of England, we deserve the same standing and rights of representation and participation as all of our, all of those in England. But if we don't have that, if you're saying no, we don't have that same right, that means we have the right to choose our own government. That's a proper biblical position. It was a great sermon done by Jonathan Mayhew in 1747 called Concerning Unlimited Submission to Higher Authorities. And it was out of Roman, it was an exposition of Romans 13. Because there were those arguing, like some of the this pastors today would say that, well. Romans 13 says you have to obey the government. You have to submit to the government, authorities. Carte Blanche. Well, anybody believes that, just put government over God. There's only one, one source of authority in all the universe, that we are to be absolutely, unconditionally, universally, without exception, submitted to, right? And that's our God and his son, Jesus Christ. That's it. Anything else that we put up on an equal plane to that, Means we're we're elevating that to equal to God, and that's just that's just the way it works. So what does that mean to us now? You know, when we talk going look backward there to where we are today. Uh, you know, there there's some of the the things that we we're we're told. Keep your Bible in your church. One of the common phrases you begin to hear in the last five or ten years, more commonly is by some elements of people in the culture and some political leaders as well, is we support the freedom of worship. Did you find anything wrong in that statement? Okay, well, worship, do you worship at City Hall? Do we worship in the schoolhouse? Do we worship in our businesses? Well, we, in the in the full context of followers of Christ, yes, we do. Because our worship isn't just our singing. Our worship is our lives. But that's not what they're talking about. What they're saying is, we're gonna, we absolutely believe you are free to practice your, your little religion in your church walls. Right? But don't take it out into the courthouse or into the schoolhouse or into the business, in the marketplace, and commerce. It doesn't belong there. That's, that's religion over here, this stuff over here. You find that somewhere in here, please, and let me know because I'm still looking. I haven't found that yet, for the, for the follower of Jesus Christ. And so here's the issue. It goes back to that universality of the truth. And what, it's like, you remember, know, another thing Pilate said. He said, well, what is truth? What did Jesus say? I am the truth. I am the way. I am the life. And you shall know the truth, and the truth will set you free. All truth points to this book. So all of the things we're fighting, all the things we're fighting in our culture today about boys and being girls, do you know that right now, and I've got this in another presentation, but um, you can actually Google the New York City gender identity card. Okay, Go, go do that, just for entertainment purposes. And because what you'll find is there's an actual formal official gender identity card by the New York City Human Rights Commission that they put out and it's posted, and on the front, it basically just, it's like a lot of other government things. will say, you know, here's the, law, the accord that says such and such, and and uh, particularly that, you know, we discourage discrimination and based on such and such, and it's basically laying out the statute that that acting or speaking against one of these protected categories based on gender identity or sexual orientation is a violation of the law. Now, the fun part is when you flip over to the back side of that card. On the back side are 31 official genders in the city of New York. I'm not kidding you. And, okay, you asked for it. Um, If I can find it here, I'm going to uh, bless you with. Okay. Um, Okay, ready for a couple of them? Here's the list, bigender, cross-dresser, drag king, drag, king, drag queen, fem queen, female to male, FTM, gender bender, gender queer, male to female, non-op, transsexual, trans person, woman, man, butch, two-spirit, trans, third, gender fluid, and that's, that's about half the list. Now, the reason that's relevant is because that's what's, that's the official law of the largest city in America, it says if you speak to somebody and you don't use the right term and they decide you did it intentionally, you're going to get fined $500. If you don't pay the $500, you're going to jail. And that same philosophy is now being taught in our grade schools in California. It's being, in fact, it's being introduced into the schools here in Texas as well. So let's not fool ourselves. And so what does that mean? So our, our battle today is for freedom is far beyond just whether or not we have a foreign aggressor a threat on a national security level because yes those are concerns and yes those are legitimate functions of our of our national government and state but do we the question for us really as a people anymore is do we deserve freedom do we deserve to be free do we acting as free people and the church has withdrawn from so much of that for so long. Now we're contending with things that we would have never thought about. So, you know, a couple of simple principles that it's important for us to really hone in on. Number one is this. We have to have the right king. Okay? We have to have our order in right order. Now what that means is in this country, we're at, The authority goes straight from God, the Father, to we, the people. And we, the people, delegate his authority. Let that sink in for just a minute. His authority that he illustrates in Romans 13 by the image of a sword, a lethal force. He said, I'm giving you, in this country, every one of us, the sword, the carrier of lethal authority to govern ourselves. We loan that authority that sacred trust of God to somebody else to, to, to act on our behalf under a constitutional republic, to city council, to school board, to the legislature, to Congress to the White House, right so we're delegating God's authority when we vote or when we don't vote. You're delegating in either way and the big one of the big catastrophes of the church in the last 40 years is we just don't show up and you know we're too busy. It's not important. It's not important enough to the kingdom. So, number one, if our, if our priorities are right, we want to protect our freedom, then we participate. And that starts with prayerful biblical voting in every single election. That's how we avoid all these battles. We elected the wrong mayor in Houston. It's real simple. And I've got a, a chart that shows how, how deeply flawed that whole process was in our own fault because she was elected by a six, less than 600 vote margin. In her, in her first re-election, 600-vote margin kept her out of a runoff, and would have been defeated in a city with a million registered voters because the turnout was 9%. Okay, and your spring elections coming up here, by the way, this, this spring for city city council and school boards are going to be about two to five percent turnout. So, folks, we just got to start showing up. Number, but then the greater issue here is personal transformation. You know, it starts with do we represent freedom in its context, in its full form of Christ himself? Are we producing freedom that's freedom from sin, that produces freedom from tyranny because the government is less and less necessary? Because guess what would happen if in five years from now families stayed together, divorce rate was the single digits, 80 to 90% of children were born by a married mother and a father, Were fed, clothed, and sheltered by those parents who did not break the law, didn't do drugs, didn't steal, and that represented 80 or 90 percent of our culture. Now, am I pitching a pipe dream? Well, it's not going to happen tomorrow. Do we still believe Jesus Christ changes lives? Does He? Well, then if He can change a life, He can change a marriage. Right? He can renew, rebuild, restore a marriage. He can restore and rebuild a home, family, relationships, which is the nucleus of all things. That means he can rebuild the community. That's called revival, renewal. From the ground up, a sweeping revival of our nation. Yes, so I do believe, I do believe we can see a day again where government was a necessary appendage to build roads, bridges, and fundamental things of infrastructure, handle our national security, but isn't a nanny state that's now consuming huge amounts of our freedom. But finally, there's three basic things. Number one is we receive or recommit to Jesus Christ as the basis of our freedom. And that's our challenge. Every single one of us every day are going forward. Am I, am I surrendered in every way in my life? Do I present Jesus Christ in everything I do, everything I say? Colossians 3 says, whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the, na- in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Do all in the name. So, no longer should we contain our word of God or our faith in Christ to our walls, and we need to take it out into the streets, out into the city halls, out into the marketplace, and make sure that we're bringing that hope to the others. Secondly, we're making our home a place of prayer, word, and worship. It's a base camp, right? The home is our ground game equipping every one of us to be sending out. So we are, have to make, our, make sure our homes are in order. Prayer, word, and worship. And finally, let's be good citizens. Let's make sure we're participating. Because I promise you, I promise you, that what we fought in Houston is coming to Granbury. It's, it's all we're fighting. And, and now, we're working at some things at the legislative level, granted. And uh, if we had courageous leadership in, in Texas legislature... Uh, we would have a, a good shot at, at getting this through and cutting all these off at this, at this cross. But I, I'm, that's going to be a big F right now. So the reality is we have to be prepared. Nobody is on safe ground anymore because the battle for fundamental belief of values is at is, is every doorstep, as we well know. You know, where to do this thing? Okay, your phone, right? That little little appendage that we have that's pouring information into our kids. Every one of us, 24-7, unbridled and unfiltered, right? There's some good, and there's a whole lot of bad. So what are we doing to counter that to make sure we're protecting the hearts and minds of our kids? And in the meantime, folks, our, our call to all of us is real simple. It's just really simple. That we live for, we follow, and we bring honor and glory to Jesus Christ in every area of our lives and accept the, what I call the forgotten ministry that we have in this country. That every single one, there's two ways to preserve our freedom on a temporal level, on, a, on an earthly plane, two ways. And that's by the ballot or by the bullet. When we fail to exercise our responsibility of self-governing, when we, we choose evil leaders who use the power of government to steal, kill, and destroy We have to decide either to surrender to slavery or stand up and do what our founding fathers did, and it cost many of them their lives, fortunes, and sacred honor. So we don't have to do that yet. We have a lot of opportunity to turn this back around, but I'll tell you right now, I love Texas. We've learned to love it here. We're we're transplants here now for the last 20 years, and uh, I come from the People's Republic of Washington State where they just just now, this is real, they proposed legislation right now that any, every baby that 's born, whether a home or a hospital or a, another facility is is scheduled for a visit by a social service worker who determines if the parents are qualified and, and, and capable of parenting that child okay? so i 'm saying you know Texas right now is the hope for America for us to stand firm and and raise up the banner and hold the ground and do everything we can uh, because we're not, we can see the distance from here. But I do know this, I, and I'm, I'm thankful that we have the hope and the joy in Christ that if we do what he's called us to do, and he is in us, then all we have to do is be faithful, and that's why I tell our, all, all we did as pastors in Houston. We just stood together, we spoke the truth, and we stayed together, and God did the rest. God bless you.